0: I'm glad you're here today. Uh, We're going to continue in our series, What's So Special About Christmas? And we're going to take a look at uh, a message that I actually did the outline four months ago called, uh, What If It's the End of the World as We Know It? Or something along those lines. The point being today that we're going to take a look at a story from Luke chapter 2 that I hope you'll see some things that perhaps you haven't noticed before. Uh, A week ago Saturday, I was at the mall with uh, my kid's uh, son, uh, Caleb, and uh, I have created a mall rat in him. He likes to go to the mall. And I took him shopping. We were kind of going around, and, and mom and dad were busy doing something else, so I had him. We went into one of the stores, and you know, they've got racks everywhere, and they're just jammed in there. You can hardly walk around, and this store was really jammed. And Caleb's usually pretty good at staying. He's two years old. He's pretty good at staying near me, but he's, he's active. And so I said, Caleb, stay right here. And, uh-huh. and, and the next thing I know, she's showing me something I was shopping for my wife. And she showed me something, and it's like two seconds later—okay, maybe 20—but just a moment later, all of a sudden, Caleb is not there. And and I'm thinking he's just around the corner, around one of these racks near me, and he wasn't there. And you—have you ever lost a child? It's a scary feeling. And so I I start doing these concentric circles because there's no way I'm going to see him. He could be anywhere. And I'm I'm looking, and I'm about this close to yelling, Caleb. You know, just making a complete idiot out of myself when I see him bolt about thirty feet from me, from one rack to another. Needless to say, Grandpa and Caleb had a little talk. <laughs> but uh, getting lost is something that I can remember as a child. I I, I used to think my mom and dad did it on purpose. <laughs> I don't know why, but I used to worry that maybe they just kind of took me places and all of a sudden they weren't there. But I remember I was a PK, I was a preacher's kid, and uh, I remember hearing my dad. I always sit right in the front row as I had to sit there. I've always been there all my life. And my dad preaching about this thing called the rapture. Now, as a child, I had no idea what the rapture was. The only word I could relate it to was rupture. And I, and I, I didn't, I don't think they were the same, but I, I didn't know. And But my dad was talking about the end of the world and, and the end of all time and God's going to come back and Jesus is going to take us to heaven with him. And the impression I always had was Jesus was really ticked and he was going to come back and take the people that he liked with him and the rest of us were going to get left. And so I remember one time after hearing that message from my dad, the next time I got lost, guess what? I panicked. I was freaking out. Oh no, the rupture's come. <laughs> and I was convinced that I had been left behind, which is not a good feeling. Well, uh, most of you know that this Friday, the Mayans have predicted the end of the world as we know it, and I won't sing the R.E.M. song if you are familiar with it. Uh, but <clears throat> they uh, were an advanced civilization back quite a while ago, and, and many think, believe, that they, uh, their calendar came to the end on December 21st, this Friday, uh, 2012, because some catastrophic thing's going to happen that will bring it into the world. And others believe that... Uh, Mayans history uh, histor- historians tell us that the Mayans actually saw time as cyclical, not as linear. We, we see, you know, time as linear. They saw it as cyclical. And so most believe that they probably just figured that it was going to be the end of one season and the beginning of the next. Well, I don't know what they thought. I don't know what the Mayans believed. If they were really good at predicting things and you think they would have figured out that the end of their civilization was coming, because about 12 or 1300 is when they stopped being around. But for the record, let me just go on record stating, I do not believe the end of the world is coming this Friday. I, I think we're going to see Christmas and we're fine. So don't go out and do anything foolish. Uh, don't do anything stupid. I, I really think we're going to be fine. I remember when I was in high school that some guy predicted the end of the world and that Jesus was coming back. And I remember thinking, duh, dude, if you're not read, the Bible says no one knows the hour of the day. And, but he thought he knew. And a bunch of his followers went up on a mountain somewhere in Colorado waiting for Jesus to come back, and as far as I know, they're still waiting. <laughs> well, uh, again, I don't believe that this Friday is the end of the world, but here's what I do believe, and this is what the Bible teaches, that the end is coming. Sooner or later, the end of this world as we know it will in fact come. A, a poll done in, in 2011 called the Pew Poll, which is basically Christians that were uh, polled and, and questioned, most of them, but almost half of them believe that uh, somewhere before 2050, over the next 40 years, that Jesus is going to return, that will be the end of the world as we know it. Now, here's what I want you to hear, and we're going to talk a little bit about this today and unpack this. The Bible is also clear about this. The end is coming, but God doesn't want us to live in fear or anxiety. In fact, he calls us to live with an awareness and a readiness for the end, but to live with hope. And so whether it's this Friday, which again, I don't think it will be, or 40 years from this Friday, or 1,000 years from this Friday, Uh, The end is coming, and so the real question we should wrestle with is, well, how should we live in the meantime? If the end is coming, and again, the Bible says it is, the end of this world as we know it is going to come, then what should we do in the meantime? Well, I want to go back to about 2,000 years, to the story of Jesus, to his birth, because I believe that from the beginning of his story, not history, but from the beginning of his story, we can see how God expects us to live every day. So I'm going to be in Luke chapter 2 if you've got your Bible. Open up to Luke, the second chapter, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified you would be too. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you, He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Very unusual, but that's what the angel said. That's where you'll find the Savior. Verse 13, suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host, a whole army, appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. For a lot of us, this is a very familiar story. If you grew up in church, you've probably heard it hundreds, maybe thousands of times. In my family growing up, my dad would always open up to Luke chapter 2 on Christmas Eve. We open our gifts on Christmas Eve as a Bubna tradition because my dad didn't want Santa getting credit. So we would always have our Christmas Eve and open our presents then. And he would always start this time by reading this passage. So I've heard it many times. But I think there's some lessons here. I I don't think they're hidden lessons, but there's some things that might not be quite as evident as they should be that I want you to leave with today. Lessons we can learn. Here's the first one. Number one, if you're following along in your outline, we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in fear. Verse 9, again, the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds. Pretty unusual, pretty incredible. And they were terrified. There's no stronger word you could use for fear in the Greek, in the New Testament, than that word terrified. They were freaking out. They did not, it's like, can you imagine? You're doing your thing, it's out in the middle of the night, you're taking care of sheep, and all of a sudden, boom, there's an angel. They were terrified. But I love the very first thing this angel of the Lord said to them. Verse 10, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. One of the sad truths about the human condition is that we too often live in fear. We wake up in the morning, and we're afraid. We go through our day, and we're afraid. We go to bed at night, and we toss and turn because we're afraid. We wake up in the middle of the night because we're afraid. And somebody said to me, well, I don't have that much fear in my life. I said, well, do you worry all the time? (laughs) I said, let me just give you a little insight here. Worry, fear, pretty much the same thing. They're, they're, They're connected. They're cousins. And out of that worry comes this fear, this dread, this, this unknown that we, that we get freaked out about. From the very beginning of time, if you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, after they fell, we see that from the beginning of the history of mankind, that fear entered into our hearts because of our sin. Genesis chapter three, verse eight to 10, that Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden of the evening. This is after they'd sinned and they knew it. The man and his wife hid themselves, From the Lord, God, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man and he said, Where are you? And the man, Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Three heartbreaking words from Adam to God, I was afraid and so I hid myself from you. And the truth is, from that moment until now, for thousands of years, fear has marked uh, way too much of our lives our relationships, our existence. We walk through this life, through this world, consumed often by terror, by fear, or by worry. We fear failure because we know we're not perfect. We fear rejection because we know we all fail. We fear relationships because we've been wounded, some of you deeply wounded, and so you fear getting yourself into a relationship where you might be hurt again. We fear the known because of our past or present experiences. We fear the unknown because we don't know what's going to happen, and we lack trust or faith or hope in God. And we live in fear, many of us this week, more than usual, because of the craziness in our world. I could not believe Tuesday when I heard about what happened at Clackamas Town Center Mall. My wife and I have been there many times. I lived in Portland for seven years, and as I confessed earlier, I'm a little bit of a mall rat. And we two months ago, when we were down visiting our grandkids and our children in Portland, we sat in that food court. We sat there with two of my grandkids, and had had lunch together. And I, I was just astounded. What's wrong? How could somebody be so demonized, so dark, so evil that they would go and, and do something that's stupid and, and just go into a mall and start shooting people? Well, when I got the news, when I first heard the first blurb about it on, on uh, about what happened in Connecticut, it it I. It, the news reports were spotty at best, you know, how things began to unfold. And I remember thinking, no way, not again. No, God, please not again. And as I saw the reports throughout the day and, and heard of 20 children, it broke my heart. I wept. I literally wept. And then I saw the pictures. I just can't even watch it anymore. Moms and dads and family and people, broken over the, 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 the tragic, horrible death. We live in a world that is broken and what happens when we get exposed to it in the media especially i mean it's all around all the time but what, you know when we see it then it, it just it drives us to this place of terror at times and fear i saw lots of people post man in fact a friend of ours said i'm pulling my kids out of school i'm going to homeschool now homeschool or not i don't care but the, what she was doing was reacting out of fear i'm afraid this might happen to my children We live in fear because we live in a world that's broken. Some of us live in fear because we know in our guts the end of all time or the end of our life's coming eventually and we know we're not ready. About a gazillion years ago I worked in banking and I worked for a woman who was hands down the meanest, harshest, toughest boss I ever had. And I've had some pretty tough bosses but she was just downright mean. And I was on my way to work one morning, and I work for American Savings, and I'm driving into the office, and uh, being the spiritual giant that I am, I was, I was complaining. I was, I was saying, God, I hate this job, and I hate being there, and I hate this woman. I know you're not supposed to hate people. And, and I, you know, God, just give me a different job or take her out. <laughs> and it was not, it was not, I was murmuring, I was complaining, I was griping, it wasn't pretty. And God, the Holy Spirit, had the the gall, the nerve to interrupt me in the middle of my complaining. And the Lord, just as clear as I've ever heard, it wasn't an audible voice, but just said in my heart, she's mean because she's afraid. She's mean because she's afraid. Well, it gave me a different perspective, a little bit of grace with her. It was a couple of months later that I actually had a conversation with some old friend of hers, somebody that used to work for her, and said, do you know her story? I said, no, I'm not sure I want to. So, well, she'd been emotionally and physically abused by her ex, and and she is mean because she's afraid. She's guarding her heart. Gave me a completely different perspective. So many of us live lives consumed by fear, and our sin, our brokenness, and the deep wounds we have from others have caused us to live in dark shadows, and it's tragic. And what's really tragic is that when we get there, we try to numb our fear in a thousand different ways, in so many different ways. Sometimes we numb our fear. We try to numb it with alcohol or drugs or maybe illicit sex. Or maybe we numb our fear through mindless video games, hundreds of hours, thousands of hours, doing anything to distract us. Sometimes we we numb our fear by just diving into work and we become workaholics. We just don't want to think about anything but what we have to do. Why? Because we're afraid. We look for so many ways to numb the fear that we have and too many consumed by it. But one of the reasons, listen to me, one of the reasons why I love the Christmas story is that from the very first night of Jesus' birth, the heavens declared, there was this proclamation, do not be afraid, you don't have to fear. The announcement given to this group of buckwheat shepherds on the backside of nowhere. I mean, these guys were the lowest of the social ladder, they were nobody. But when they were terrified, the very first thing the angel said is, don't be afraid. Why? Because there's a Savior born now, tonight. The Prince of Peace is here. I want you to hear this. And I don't say this glibly because I know some of us wrestle with this issue of fear. But because of Jesus, we don't have to live there anymore. You see, God's always invited us to put our hope and our confidence in him. He's always called called us to find our peace in him, in our pursuit of him. Not in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Not in the the craziness of the world around us. If you're looking for peace there, good luck with with that one. But God is consistently from the beginning. Do you know that there's over 60 times in the Old and New Testament the scriptures say to us, fear not, do not be afraid. Fear not, fear not, fear not. The invitation from God is come to me. Put your hope in me. Put your confidence in me. I know you live in a broken world, but don't focus there. Fix your eyes and your heart on me. David wrote in Psalm 56 verse three, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. And one of the reasons why I love David's statement here As David doesn't get hyper-spiritual, I'm never afraid because I trust in God. He says, when, do you hear that? When I am afraid, I will put my hope and my trust in you. Guys, we have to deal with the reality of life on this planet. Stuff happens. There's brokenness all around us. Sometimes you're going to find yourself in a moment of terror, but we need to choose to do what David did. When we're afraid, we put our hope in him. Jesus said to his disciples, in Matthew 10, 29 to 31, aren't two sparrows sold for only a penny? But your Father knows when any one of them falls to the ground. Even the heirs on your head are counted. <laughs> That's really good news for some of us. And Jesus said, so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You are worth much more than many sparrows. Sometimes we forget this or we don't get it. We don't understand. But here's the truth. You are worth everything to God. So much so that he sent his one and only son into the world for you. He sent his son into a broken world to be broken for us. How can we live without fear in the midst of a world that's just going to hell in a handbasket? That's so screwed up. That's messed up. And guys, I'm praying. Pray with me that nothing stupid happens. But you know, you gotta wonder. People thinking the Mayan calendar and what? I just praying hard. God, please, no more stu- stupidity. No more foolishness. No more evil. But we can can be consumed by that and focus on that or we can put our trust and our hope in the one who said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am your prince of peace. I can be your savior. How do we live without fear? By trusting in the one who truly does love us more than his own life. In fact, I want to just take a moment and pray. We're not done, but I want to pray for you right now. Father, some in this room have been unable to sleep this week because of fear. They're in family situations. They're in financial situations. They're in relationship situations. They, Lord, just in this world, they've watched the news, and they are literally scared to death. And I pray for them right now. God, I pray for myself. I pray for us that you would cause us, Lord, to turn our eyes and our heart to you, to fix our eyes and our mind and our heart on you, the Savior, the hope of the world, the Prince of our peace. And reach into our souls right now, Lord, in that spot where we've been hiding in the trees and fear. Reach into our hearts there, Lord, and draw us to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here's the second thing. Let's move on. Second lesson from the birth story of Jesus. Number two, we need to respond to God's invitation and pursue Jesus. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this, but we have this opportunity. You're gonna have it right in just a moment, right now, to respond to God. And at the end of the world, at the end of time, or at the end of your life, listen to me, what you know is not going to matter. Who you know will matter and make, be all the difference in the world. Not what you have, what you know, but who you know is what matters. And how you respond, how you personally, individually respond to the good news of a Savior is what's going to matter at the end of time or at the end of your life. Do you know Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship with him He's like, well, I've gone to church all my life. Well, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm, I've cheated on my wife. I haven't ripped anybody off. Great, glad to hear that. But the Bible says that our good works are never gonna be good enough to get us into a relationship with God. It comes by relationship through his son. Ephesians 2:8 8, 9, God's grace has saved you because of your faith in Christ. Your salvation doesn't come from anything you do. It's not about your good works. It's God's gift. It's not based on anything you've done so no one can brag about earning it. Guys, you are never going to be good enough on your own. You're never going to do enough right to get into right relationship with God on your own. And that's why God said, I've sent my son as a Savior. And it is through relationship with him, by grace, through, by faith, through faith. It's relationship with him that enters us into a relationship with God. Titus 3.5, it wasn't because of the good things we had done. It was because of his mercy that he saved us. Some of you have grown up thinking, well, if I just do more good than bad, when I get to the pearly gates, it's all going to be okay. Nope. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says do good things, yes, but you're never going to be good enough on your own. That's why you need a Savior. That's why you need to be in relationship with Jesus. And this gift of God comes and is initiated by entering into faith, by grace, into a relationship with His Son. At the very first night, I love verse 11, it says, the angel said to these shepherds, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Don't miss the power in those two words, to you. Jesus came, not for somebody else, not for some other group, not just for the Jews, it says he came to you. He came to have a relationship with you. And the shepherds responded to this invitation. That's what I love about these guys. Verse 15, when the angels had left and got into heaven, they said to each other, let's go, let's go to Bethlehem and see. And so verse 16 says, they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. And that phrase, they hurried off, could actually be trans- translated, they took off running. They didn't waste any time or waste the opportunity. And I imagine these guys, I mean, don't you, again, just, can't you see them? Angels are gone, they look at each other, and I think hooting and hollering and screaming all the way. They're laughing as they're running for Bethlehem. Ever been terrified really bad by somebody like Brian does to me occasionally in the office? He thinks it's funny. You know, I'm there doing my whatever and he opens the door, ha! Ah! You know, and you just tear and jump and your heart stops for a second. But you know that feeling right after that moment when you realize you're not gonna die? And it's just a friend being a jerk, it's Okay. And and so you have this adrenaline rush and then there's this incredible sense of relief and almost giddiness. I think that's the way these shepherds felt. Angels! They're terrified. Don't be afraid. Here's what you need to do. Angels are gone. Boom! They bolted. And I think all the way there, laughing and hollering and screaming. Did you see that? Did you see how big that one guy was? That was awesome! And they're on their way to Bethlehem. What did they do? They responded to this invitation. Go and find this baby. We have got to respond to the invitation. You know, not too many of us have had angels show up to tell us about a Savior. I know that. But God has revealed himself to you and me in countless ways. Countless ways. I've got a friend uh, years ago, his name's Brad, who uh, told me, and he said, I'll believe in God when I see an angel or a miracle. And said, there got to be a proven miracle. None of this, I had a headache and God healed me sort of stuff. I, I'll believe in God when I, when, I, when I see an angel show up or I see a miracle. And I smiled, and without hesitating, hesitating I said, Brad, I said, have you ever, ever, ever in your life seen the, a, a, a sunset over the ocean? Yeah. And how can you not believe in a God with something that glorious? Ah, have, you, have you ever studied the human eye? Scientists to this day do not completely understand how the human eye functions. I mean, they can draw you diagrams, and they get the basics, but they don't, it, it's like, what? We don't even understand how this thing works in a human body. I said, Brad, have you ever looked through a telescope up into the heavens and just seen countless stars and galaxies? How can you not believe in a God when you look at the majesty of our universe? I said, Brad, have you ever watched a mother give birth? And at that point, I had three kids I watched give, my wife give birth to, and it's, it's awesome, I mean, I made a believer. It's like, wow, this is just, ah, this is glorious. And I said, Brad, have you ever been unconditionally loved by somebody and and there's no reason for them to love you, but they love you anyhow? I said, every one of those experiences and a thousand more, that's God showing you his glory, his goodness, his presence, that he's alive and real. Romans 1.20, Paul wrote, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they are without excuse. They, are, they have no excuse for not knowing God. See, I think it takes more faith to not believe in God. And the Bible teaches us, and this is the truth, guys, the end is coming. And when it does, either the end of your life or the end of this world, the question will be, how did you respond to the good news of the Savior? What did you do with God's invitation to you to come and experience relationship with him through his son? I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads again. Again, we're not finished, but let me pray for you. Some of you here right now, and you've not started your walk as a Christ follower, and I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now to say yes to God. And here's what I want you to do. In your own heart, just make this prayer your prayer right now. If you're ready and you know you need a savior and it's time for you to begin your life as a Christ follower, just make these words yours. In your own heart, Father, I need you. I've sinned. I failed, I need a Savior. I need that Prince of Peace. I need Jesus. And so I surrender my life. I embrace that free gift of God's grace and mercy given to me through Jesus on the cross. And I believe, and I surrender, and I give you my all because I see that you gave your all for me. Now, if that's you, whether you're here in this room or watching online, just in your own heart to say, yep, God, that's me, that's what I want. That's what I need. The Bible says the moment you respond to that, the moment you respond to that invitation, you become a child of God. Lord, thank you for those making that decision right now. For those that made it in the last service, Lord, seal in their hearts what you're doing. I pray it in Jesus' name again. Amen. One last thing. I'll be brief here. Number three, what lesson can we learn from the story of the shepherds? Well, we should live with a holy boldness. I mean a brash, holy, desperate boldness when the, verse 17, when the shepherds had seen uh, the angels w- when they were gone, says so they went and they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. They end up in Bethlehem. They find the baby just like the angels told them. And they, says, so they went everywhere. You couldn't shut these guys up. Everywhere they went, they were telling the story. And I imagine well into their old age, these guys are, you know, toothless shepherds at 80 or whatever. And they're, remember the night when the angels showed. And probably the more they told the story, the bigger and better it got. It's kind of the way it goes with us. But they talked about it. They they couldn't help but tell his story and their story of that night. I want to ask you, how many of you have begun your relationship with Jesus or you were led to faith in Christ because somebody in your life—a mom, a dad, a brother, a friend, a coworker—told you their story and they told you the story of Jesus, and because of that, you gave your life to Christ. Let me see your hands. Raise them up. Be bold about it. Yeah, it's because somebody told you their story and somebody told you his story that you're sitting here today. Not long ago, I uh, was talking to somebody, and I love asking people uh, to tell me how they came to faith. It's—I love stories of of. Uh, people beginning their life as a Christ follower and I said this guy hey, tell me how you came to the Lord he said, oh I don't know if you really want to hear it's kind of embarrassing I said no man I, I love embarrassing stories go ahead tell me what happened he said well truthfully uh, a buddy of mine, and he and I were we were getting high we were potheads and we were smoking pot this is when it was illegal and uh, we were yeah. We were getting high, and, and, uh, and, and the next day, um, my friend starts, you know, talking to me about some things in his life, and it wasn't like a day or two later, he ends up becoming a Christ follower. I mean, he got radically saved, and it's, it really ticked me off, because he was like my best buddy and my friend, and, and our whole world was about getting high and smoking pot, and now he's a Christian, and he wouldn't shut up, constantly, always telling me. He said, and he, and, and it, now, I do not suggest or recommend this by any means, but... But uh, sometimes when we get saved, it takes a while for us to get sanctified. And so, you know, we come to know Jesus, but that doesn't mean there's stuff in our life that still needs to change. So he's telling me, he says, yeah. said so about a week later, we were getting high again. Now, this is after his friend gave his life to Jesus. We're getting high again. And, and we're talking about God for like hours. We're just, dude, Jesus is really cool. And they, and they went on. He, he said, and, but every time I was around this guy, he kept telling me about Jesus. And finally, I figured I only had one of two things I was going to do. Either cut him off and never be his friend again, or give up and become a Christ follower with him. And said, so that's how I got saved. I said, I love stories like that. Love it. Lady this morning, sitting right over here, a friend of hers has been bringing her to church for weeks. This morning, this morning, she came to know Jesus. She gave her life to Christ. And her friend tickled, pink, elated. And again, it was simply because her friend was bold enough to say, come to church with me, come to church with me. Let's just go to church together. And today, that woman gave her life to Jesus, and she's his for eternity. A life changed because somebody was bold enough to say, why don't you just come with me to church? You know, we've been giving out those tickets for a couple of weeks and uh, making these available to you. And I actually had somebody, and I won't mention who, but somebody last week said, I wish you guys, you know, I'm more green than that. And I, you know, I'm just going to throw that thing away. And it's just, why are you putting that in my face? I'm not going to give that out. And I said, why wouldn't you? And I was like, what? Why wouldn't you? I said, who, you, you know what? Here's the deal. People, a lot of people are going to go to Christmas Eve somewhere. And I said, who do you know? And you've heard me say this phrase for weeks now. Who do you know that might be just one invitation away from a changed life? I said, give them away. Guys, somebody said, you're afraid? Well, I don't People might not like me. They might reject me. So what? Eternity is in the balance. And I love these shepherds. They were bold. They were emboldened to share. And they told everybody about their encounter with the angels and Jesus. Acts 4.13. When the Sanhedrin, the re- religious rulers of the day, the same guys who crucified Jesus, were ticked off at Peter and John. They dragged him before the, the council. And it says in verse uh, 13 of Acts 4 that when they saw the courage and boldness of Peter and John, they realized that these were unschooled and ordinary men, and they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These ordinary guys were bold and emboldened by an encounter with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to start to wrap this up, and I'm going to ask you a question. And again, I don't want to be morbid about this. I'm not trying to be dark. I'm not trying to scare or terrorize anybody. I promise you that's not my intent. But let me ask you a very serious question. If you knew, if you knew this was your last week on planet Earth, if you knew that you had just a matter of days or weeks left, how would that change? How desperate would you be to share your story and God's story with the people around you? I'm I'm suspicious. I I suspect that you'd stop worrying about whether they liked you or not. You're going to be dead soon anyhow. Who cares? Who cares? I think you'd stop worrying about rejection. I think you'd stop worrying about how you might look or how you might come across. I think you'd stop worrying, you know, I just need to know a lot more. I don't know much about the Bible. If I just knew more about the Bible, and I don't think you're going to care about knowledge as much as the passionate story you want to share of your encounter with Jesus that changed your life and of his story that can change their life, I think you'd get desperate to tell anybody and everybody. You'd go to school, you'd go to work, you'd go to your neighbors, you would go to anybody and everybody you knew. You see, the reality of our mortality has a way of making us uh, motivated. And and, and in some ways, that's a good thing. A couple weeks ago, my uncle Stan passed away. And he's um, been sick for a long time. He's with Jesus. Love him. And I'm at that age right now where I'm losing relatives left and right. Right. and and parents and aunts and uncles and grandparents. and It's a little tough, but every time I'm I'm faced with this reality, and I want you to be faced with this reality today, the reality of your own mortality, that life is short. Again, not to draw fear out of that, not to create terror in you by any means. That's not my goal. But I think if we understand how short and precious life is, that's going to motivate us to be bold, to be willing to share to invite our friends, to be bringers and includers, to tell anybody and everybody we can about this one who loves them more than his own life. I really don't think this is our last Sunday together. I don't think this Christmas will be our last Christmas together. But the Bible says that that day is coming. We don't need to live in fear. We do need to respond to God's invitation. We do need to be bold. The old Christmas song goes to go tell it on the mountain. We need to be people who are emboldened to share by the Holy Spirit, to share what Jesus has done for us and what he's done for them. And I think when we do, we're going to see our world turns upside down. The first church literally turned their world upside down because they were bold to share the story of Jesus. One last verse and I'm done. David said, the psalmist said in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Close your eyes and let me pray for you. God, again, I know uh, how inadequate I am to communicate your heart to your people today. I just, I feel like, Lord, I'm just so far from being able to say what I, I think you want them to hear. But the Holy Spirit, I trust you right now to make it clear, to give revelation to every person listening to these words that has heard this message today that they are loved, that they don't have to live in fear, that they can walk in peace, that, that you want us to respond to you and to continue to respond to you, and that you want us, God, to be bold to share our faith. God, burn those truths in our heart today. Jesus, you put us here as lights in the midst of darkness, and there's a lot of darkness in our world. You put us here as a voice to not be silent, to not just sit by and shake our head, but to speak Boldly, the truth and love that a Savior has come, and He's Christ the Lord. God, help us to be bold this week. I pray it in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together. I want to finish with one last song of worship? We're going to give. Uh, if you're visiting today, if you're a guest, drop that communication card. If you have a prayer request, put that in. But let's give because we love the Lord. Let's give as we worship, and I'll come back and wrap it up. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. God is able. He's with you. I want you to leave with that truth this morning. Today, if you begin your life as Christ's Christ follower, tell somebody. And back in the tables to the right of the doors. It's the packet for new believers. It's got a Bible. and some materials to start. You walk with Jesus. we got lots of these tickets left. Take them. Go get them. Give them away. Pastor Bryce can be right down here. We need 10 people for the 4 o'clock on Monday night. Ten people for the at uh, 6 o'clock on Monday night to help with Adventureland. Really need you guys to step up. You can go to one service with and, and serve with your family and attend the other. And this is one way you can make it possible for us to reach our community. So come and do that. Pray to be down front. Communion on both sides of the room. Go be bold this week. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.